Hola, and welcome to the Beauteous Me podcast, a relatable and authentic space for all. Tune in as we share stories of triumph, resiliency, and healing. We do this all while finding its inner beauty. My name is Jamili Whitfield, and the journey begins now. Hi, guys. Welcome back to another episode of the Beauteous Me podcast. I am excited to have this guest because we went to college together. (laughs) Our college that is no more. (laughs) I know. It flows. Like... I have that one hoodie sweater that I'm a forever rock because that's the only thing that I have that reminds me and like a keychain or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm so excited to have you here. Dr. Nastasia Davis is a registered nurse, international board certified lactation consultant, mother of four beautiful children and a resident of New Jersey. She has over 16 years of experience working with birthing families. Nastasia is passionate about improving access to qualified lactation professionals and improving breastfeeding rates in the Black community. She is the owner of Latch Breastfeeding and Lactation Services, a private lactation practice offering home and office visits throughout the state. Nastasia founded the Perinatal Health Equity Foundation in 2018. It is a nonprofit advocacy and support organization dedicated to eliminating racial disparities in Black infant and maternal health. In addition to her public health commitments, she is a assistant professor of nursing at Montclair State University. Uh, she also has research and clinical interests, which includes implicit bias racism in healthcare, breastfeeding in the Black community, obstetrical violence, high-risk OB, and reproductive justice. Damn, when I was reading your bio, I was like, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> I go to school with some awesome women. <laughs> we did pretty well for ourselves, we, I would I say. Think, I think we did. I think we did. So thank you so much for being here with us. And, you know, I always ask my guests, tell us about your story. What inspired you to do this work? Like where, where did it come from? Where did that burn come from within that you were just like, you know, I started off as a nurse, but now I, something has to switch within me. Um, so actually it's a funny story. Um, I feel like uh, I had reached a space where I was what I thought was the pinnacle of my career. I had, uh, from the time I was in nursing school, I wanted to be a perinatal nurse educator. That was my goal. I achieved that goal, was working on an amazing unit, had a wonderful support st- uh, staff team. Um, and then uh, my direct manager retired um, and her replacement was not her. Mm. And she changed the culture of the work environment to a point that it became so toxic that uh, four of us uh, left the institution within weeks of each other. And that spawned me into entrepreneurship. I had been a lactation consultant for um, many, many years, always held that credential, but never utilized it outside of working in the hospital. So I said, let me see what I can do with this. And I I launched Latch at that time. Um, I went into a faculty position and started teaching at Essex County College. Um, And my goal, just knowing that Black women tend to have disparities in in breastfeeding and aren't successful and don't have support, I thought I would be seeing Black patients. And that wasn't what was happening. Um, Mm. I became accessible to everyone else, but not to my target audience. And I had to look at why that was happening. And it was really I had priced them out of being able to access me. So lactation mm-hmm. is a service that for the most part, unless you have, you know, in my state in particular, unless you have Aetna, there's no direct um, insurance coverage. So you have to pay out of pocket. Yeah. So 
um, I figured as a business, I wasn't going to do what I was destined to do. And so I had to flip to a nonprofit model in order to be able to provide those resources. And, you know, I still consider us a startup, although, you know, we've been in existence since 2018, but each year we grow a little bit. Um, I finally have a little bit of a team and some staff, so that's positive. But in addition, um, you know, I belong to a lot of different mommy groups and um, that's my space where I can kind of see what parents are thinking. And um, I'm in one particular group where I started seeing condolences repeatedly. Um, Pray for my family because my sister just passed away from childbirth. Um, um, Pray for my family. My nephew just passed away. Mm. Uh, He was only three months old. And I was seeing this within a year. I had seen maybe four to five postings like that. And I said, what the hell is going on here? Like this, and it wasn't public. It wasn't something that was getting media attention. It was kind of just happening in these closed spaces. And I started really asking more about birth stories and what was happening to my patients. And I started to hear really bad traumatic birth experiences where their choices weren't honored. Um, they weren't weren't respected. Um, things that clinically should have been easily picked up were missed. And so I began to see there was a bigger problem than just breastfeeding. Breastfeeding, of course, is extremely important to me, um, but Black women deserve to have healthy pregnancies that don't end in their death or the death of their child. And so um, I wanted to set an organization that would help to address that and create that culture for New Jersey. I think that that's amazing. And I think it's important for us to kind of just get into a little bit more on why is Black maternal health such an important topic? And I see it, um, it, it should trend more. It's trending a little bit. You know, it mm-hmm. definitely trend, it trended last month. Um, yes. But it, it's, not, it's not out there. And you do hear stories. You know, I think what impacted some people was a few months ago, there was an influencer or a YouTuber, a really young girl who mm-hmm. um, died, had passed away at birth. And, um, you know, some people were talking about it. But again, the topic wasn't in there. And when mm-hmm. we think about historically um, OBGYN and um, mm-hmm. e- even getting deeper rooted and thinking that Black women or the or, or Black people could just tolerate more pain. And so you're you're less, less there's less doctors paying attention to you and listening to you. So I really mm-hmm. want to get into the importance of why, um, you know, you're driving this mission. But I think that a lot, a lot more people, a lot more physicians, a lot more nurses um, should be doing this work. Yeah, um, you know, my state in New Jersey, our maternal death rate is about seven times that of white women. Um, and we are above the national average. Um, in New Jersey, uh, we rank 47th um, in maternal child health outcomes for the entire state. So, not just for Black women, but for all women. So, just as a state, we've got a lot of work to do. But the national average is somewhere between Um, three to four times that Black women are more likely to die from some sort of pregnancy-related complication. And that's up until that first year after delivery. And I think most people think of death, uh, pregnancy-related as occurring in childbirth. Um, But a bigger percentage are actually happening in the postpartum period due to just not getting treated, not being heard, not getting the right um, responses. And so that's leading to um, more Black women passing away. Um, I can share that a family that I am supporting here in New Jersey, um, his wife passed away um, in December Mm -hmm. during the pandemic. And we've definitely seen an increase in maternal and infant deaths um, from COVID. Um, But just 
things, easy assessments were not picked up. Um, if you look at Amber Rose Isaac, um, who passed away in um, New York, uh, she had uh, very clear signs that she was in HELP syndrome, right? If you read her story and you understand clinically what that diagnosis is, low platelets in a pregnancy should have been a red flag for any provider, but they decided to do telehealth rather than bringing her in for physical support. And so it's a mismanagement of care. It's not listening to Black women when they express what's going on with them, just a disbelief, a discredit. Um, Structural racism has a significant amount to do with that, uh, because no matter how much you are educated and supported, if the system you're going into doesn't view you as such, doesn't view you as educated, um, or even if you don't have a good education, like it's, it's one of those things that with Black women, there's no income that protects you. You can't, you know, uh, grow yourself rich out of this stereotype. You can't educate yourself out of this stereotype. Um, a Black woman with a doctorate degree has the same outcomes as a white woman with an eighth grade education. Mm. That's not acceptable. Mm. Um, and so it really has to do with the system not being set up to support us. Um, it's a lack of diversity in the field. Uh, there is uh, strong evidence that when Black women are cared for by other Black providers, they have better birth outcomes. Um, and so we need to look at those things. And I think what we've seen in COVID is that Black women have moved their, uh, their place of birth. They're delivering at home. They're delivering at birth centers because they fear being in the confines of a hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at the work of um, Dr. Kamara Jones, who I respect highly. She's developed um, three levels of racism. Um, One of them is the structural piece of racism. Um, The other is the internalized racism. So because you're, um, as a person of color, been so used and subjected to different types of stereotypes that you begin to believe them yourself and perpetuate them in the care that you deliver with patients. Um, But then also your common everyday racism of just explicit type of stuff. Um, And so those are part of the experiences that um, Black women are going through in their birthing spaces. And the CDC has done an amazing campaign with the Hear Her campaign. Allison Felix was a part of that. Um, 60% of all of these deaths are preventable. So we know that it's not because Black women um, aren't taking care of themselves. It's not because they came in with comorbidities like diabetes or hypertension, or they have a bad diet, that's not part of the reason. They might have some of those things coming into the birth space, but those are not the things that are killing them. Ultimately, it's a lack of care that is resulting in these deaths. Can you tell us a little bit about what are some of the missing pieces? So uh, a Black woman who's pregnant goes into the doctor and is like, you know, I've been feeling really tired lately, or I'm not feeling myself. Like, What are some of the red flags that people should pay attention to um, and that ultimately doctors really, you know, you, you, you went to school and, and if a white woman comes in and it's like, well, I'm tired and I'm feeling these things, you would run mm-hmm. this battery or these series of tests. So what are some right. of the things that you um, you would suggest that that pregnant mothers, black women go into to a doctor and hasn't found maybe, let's say, a, a black physician to pay attention to and kind of advocate for for herself to push through? So I believe strongly in having a support team around you. Um, I think until the system changes, and this is not the way it's designed to be, like we shouldn't have to arm Black women with education to fight the system, right? They should Mm -hmm. just be able to go in and get the care that they deserve. But that's not our reality at the moment. Um, So we have to prepare them for entry into the birth space. That means 
taking childbirth education classes. Um, if you don't know what birth is supposed to look like, how can you identify when something is going wrong to be able to advocate for yourself? Um, if you're able to access a doula, um, doulas play an immense role in these outcomes and the safety and the advocacy of having someone there that can support a natural birth, um, understanding what those birth options are, because often we're forced, um, bullied sometimes into decisions that we don't want to make. So C-sections, for example, black women have very high rates of C-section, failed inductions, things like that. So knowing that you can say no in certain circumstances to things, if you want to be able to eat during your labor, if you want to be able to get up and walk around during your labor, that you can ask for those things and request it. So having some foreknowledge going in, um, look at shifting who's taking care of you. Can you have a midwife over at OB? Um, OBs do an amazing job and there's some phenomenal OBs out there, but the data supports that birth outcomes for um, non-high-risk births are much better with midwives. So if you can get a midwife, um, seek that as an option because that's their model. And it's not all nurses that are midwives. There are certified midwives as well and community midwives. They can do home births. They can deliver in a birth center. And, and those are other birth alternatives. You don't have to deliver in a hospital. Um, now, obviously, if you have some high-risk conditions, that changes your options a little bit. But I think going in armed with some information and support team, um, as well as whoever your partner is, making sure they know, because sometimes it's them that has to advocate for you as well. So making sure they're included in the education and receiving the same set of information. Um, when you're hearing something that's scary, uh, your brain leaves. You're not absorbing and hearing all of the information. And so if someone else is there hearing, they can help to reinforce what's going on with you. So I really think it's about building your birth team, taking the time to understand that, and then knowing you can leave at any time. You are not destined to stay with any provider who is not hearing and taking care of you. Find someone else who can. Get recommendations from your community. Um, Kimberly Sears Allers just released an app called Earth, which is a app that is very similar to Yelp, but for birth space. So you can look up providers and see what other Black women have thought about these particular providers and make a decision as to whether you want to see them or not. So you do have options. Yes, that's, that, that is so important. So just as it's an important segue in the work that you're doing, obviously research is integral, right? And I think it's important for the listeners to a little, understand a little bit more about some of the research that you've been doing or some of your, you know, your clinical passion about reproductive justice, because I don't think that's also discussed. We, we, we understand the pandemic of racism mm -hmm. and, you know, how further more and more and more the black community is being impacted from so many different angles at this point. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but we don't talk about reproductive justice. So can you tell yes. us what, number one, what is reproductive justice? Mm -hmm. And then what is uh, some of the um, research or, or, or clinical experience that you've had with that? Sure. So reproductive justice is basically um, a framework that was developed by Black women, but has been utilized in, in many different spaces. But it really is the right to have or not to have children and to have the resources necessary to make that happen, to live and thrive in the places that we live, grow and work. Um, and so basically, you know, I've, I've definitely had experiences where birth choices were taken away from families, where um, and there's a number of hospitals that I've worked in in both New York and New Jersey where birth control at discharge was part of the standing order set. So you go home, you have a baby, you get your shot at depot and you go home. 
well, did you consult this family and ask if they wanted to have Depo? Like whose decision is it for when they want to have more children? So it might be your line of thinking that this person should not have more children, but that's ultimately their decision. Um, so it really is about informed choices, um, which basically means that they have all the information they need, the pros and the cons to make the decision that is right for, for them. And that may not always be the decision we agree with, but it's it's their decision and we have to allow them um, to make it. Um, it's cultural humility, which is really not cultural confidence because that is a very dated term, but right. cultural <laughs> humility with understanding that um, you have the right to make informed choices. Um, but cultural humility is really that understanding that there's a power dynamic between the provider and the patient um, that often sometimes makes people feel like they need to follow a set of orders um, because the person in power is making those recommendations. Um, acceptance that everyone is different um, and not really needing an explanation about what those differences are or why they exist, but just accepting that they are there um, and they may not be your own personal experiences an understanding of what your biases are because we all have them, every single one of them, myself included. Um, but the, the process is to really interrupt that flow of thoughts, the stereotypes that gently enter our mind um, when we're working to take care of someone. So it's a lifelong process of being able to undo those experiences. But then um, I want to close on that thought with really looking at the patient or the client as the expert on their body. So we might come in as a, a medical professional with clinical expertise, but we are not an expert on that patient, right? The patient is the expert on themselves. And so we need to be able to let go of that power and saying, well, I know X, Y, and Z because I've taken care of this many people with this condition, but you've not taken care of this person with this condition. And so they are, if, when they're telling you something is going on with their body, we need to believe them. Um, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I think that's also a, a perfect segue to talk a little bit about obstetrical violence because mm. they, they, they kind of, um, I would say, go hands in hand with, mm -hmm. with making certain decisions and, and being informed and um, yeah, everything that's going on with the maternal health. So, yeah, as far as obstetrical violence goes, it really has to do with um, the trauma that is associated with the birth experience and the loss of autonomy and being able to make decisions about what your birth is going to look like. These traumas um, result in PTSD for many families. Um, your birth is something that should be a memorable experience. It's something that most people look forward to um, their entire lives is what their birth is going to look like. And when it ends in some way that they didn't have control um, or it wasn't the outcome they wanted or they didn't feel heard, that's a form of violence. Um, it's a form of violence when we're pushing um, C-sections on people that don't need them because we yeah. want to you know, hurry up and get the birth over with um, <laughs> right. because we've got other stuff to do. That's, right. that's violence, you know? Right. So it really is... Um, one is we have to have our the mental health component and the space to help these women and, and birthing people heal from these experiences because mm -hmm. they carry it for, for years. Mm -hmm. um, they go into their subsequent pregnancies with that fear or that experience may stop them from wanting to have any more children because it was such a horrific experience for them. So we need to look at the long lasting damage that these type of birth experiences are happening um, or causing to the families. Yeah. I'm glad that you brought that up, the mental health piece and the traumatic piece. I had a discussion um, several episodes ago with um, someone I went to high school with who's also a nurse and works in OB. 
and mm-hmm. um, discussed about um, pushing more mental health support for uh, pregnant and parenting moms. And, and mm-hmm. um, because there's so much trauma related to not only the pregnancy, but the birthing experience or whatever else is going on, whether it's post-traumatic, uh, you know, a postpartum uh, depression, et cetera. So I'm, I'm mm-hmm. glad that you did bring that up, that, that, mm-hmm. that, you know, both, both pieces have to go hand in hand in that, um, if you're not taking care of that, if you had such a traumatic birth and you just so happen to come out pregnant again, you might miss some steps in some of your medical care. You might miss Absolutely. Um, advocating for yourself because you're still in that kind of traumatic phase. So thank you so much for bringing that up because I think, um, it's important for people to understand how some of this, um, it's important to kind of heal with different components of it. It gets in the way of your ability to be the mother um, that you want to be because mm-hmm. you're dealing with so much additional trauma. Um, but then also looking at the trauma that Black women have coming into that birth space. There's a lot of data on how these police shootings are impacting our fertility and our births and our you know those experiences. So having to come into a space where you're carrying life and then that life is not safe in the world. You know, it's a very difficult space to to be in. And, and that concept of weathering is, is real for Black women. That constant um, pushdown of some sort of racism that you're experiencing either personally or with your, your, your children that you're raising, having to raise them in that type of environment is physically stressful. Um, now, I'm not an expert in mental health. That's not my area, but I recognize it's Leave important. It to me. <laughs> <laughs> I recognize its importance in um, you know, that whole trauma informed care, being able mm-hmm. to understand that people come in with traumas. Um, I know personally I've worked with a family um, who was breastfeeding and she had experienced um sexual abuse. And so the act of being able to breastfeed was very, very difficult for her. And it wasn't until she spoke that out loud that this is what happened to me. And that's why I'm having such a hard time. Was she able to really continue with breastfeeding? Because it felt very sexual to her because mm-hmm. she had those vi- been violated in the past. And so she could not go where she wanted to go as a mother because she had carried those experiences with her. Um, and so that really opened my eyes as far as even the questions I asked my patients. Now, I had not previously asked about sexual trauma and abuse, but I now have that on my intake questionnaire because it is part of what my family's come to me with. Yeah, it's important. It's a really important question. Certain touches, certain sensations, certain feelings, even um, the thought of changing your child's diaper or mm. um, those those things bring some traumatic flashbacks if something happened to you in infancy or in early childhood. So those are things to also kind of be mindful is, do you struggle with this? Do you struggle with that, et cetera? So I'm right. really glad that you added that component. Mm. Um, you know, of course, me as a mental health advocate <laughs> in that space. But I think it's important. I always ask my my guests to leave some tools, some resources for our listeners, because, again, this is such an important topic. We cannot just um, celebrate it for one week out of the month of March. Right. We right. have to honor this every single day, just as much as we are fighting. We're fighting so many different um multifacets of racism, right? So we Absolutely. think about our kids and even, even, even my, my friend and I were talking about her fear, her, her child has all the checklists of ADHD and her mm-hmm. fear of even bringing that up to a doctor because how, how your, your black child then gets stigmatized Labeled. in yep. the school system yep. for having ADHD. 
So Absolutely. we have so many, it's like multiple check, like it's probably like two pages of check boxes. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what are some resources that for this topic specifically that um, listeners can have in, in doing the number one advocacy work, supporting in some resources? So I think if you're someone who wants to get involved in that advocacy space, I would say look to find Black women-led organizations in your community. Um, I happen to be a member of the Black Mamas Matter Alliance. Mm -hmm. I'm a kindred partner. And so there are um, a number of different national partner organizations. And so you may find a community resource with them. Um, Follow those organizations. If they're offering programming, um, attend them. Uh, there's been a lot of work in the policy space, specifically the Momnibus, and it was wonderful that um, Vice President Kamala Harris really mm-hmm. was such a, a force in pushing that through, but then also announced that first um, White House declaration honoring the first proclamation of Black Maternal Health Week being recognized by the White House. So I think it's it's getting the national attention that it deserves, finally, uh, mm-hmm. But this has been an issue that's been going on for many, <laughs> no. many, many, many years and has and not really forever. <laughs> if, if forever, um, and has not really improved much, but there's support around. So I would say definitely policy wise, when you're voting, understand what you're voting for or against, because policy really does drive what the changes are going to be in the future. So get involved politically if that's an area that you're interested in. Um, But I would say if you're looking for someone, um, you know, you're thinking about becoming pregnant, um, look for those resources in your community of people who do birth work. So whether that is getting a doula, finding a midwife, looking for um, a black lactation consultant, have a team of people around you that are going to be able to provide you with the support and resources that you need. Um, Another untouched subject is uh, fertility issues. Mm -hmm. Uh, That is a very common problem in the, in many communities, but in the Black community as well, it's, it's just like not talked about. If you've had recurrent miscarriages and you, you know, you're unable to conceive, being able to find the resources in your community that can help you with that because there are funds for people who can't afford fertility medications because their insurance doesn't cover it. There are many organizations that work in that space as well. Um, And then the same for abortion rights. If you are someone who does not want to become pregnant or does not want to continue a pregnancy, finding the community resources for those things as well, because that's that's part of reproductive justice is access to make those decisions. Um, Although they may not always be reflective of what we would choose personally, it's what the community needs access to. Absolutely. Where can people find you? (laughs) <laughs> so um, you can find us on Instagram. I think I'm probably most active on Instagram under our name, Perinatal Equity. Um, we're on Twitter. We're on Facebook under the same name. And then, of course, you can visit our website, um, www.perinatalequity.org. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for spending this time with me. I was so super excited. I'm like, yes, my alma mater. <laughs> People, <laughs> yes. you know, we, we we have to celebrate and honor each other, especially as women. And and I smile because um just as a side plug, you go into college, you're this young, impressionable person who is looking for, you know, whatever you're I know you were in the nursing school and I was with my BSW, you know, and, and what we're you know on campus, et cetera. And then we see how we grow mature and and how we do this work and how it expands from just life as a young person. So I'm sitting here with smiles because I just love it. I love the work that you're doing. Um, I'm so excited for you. I'm so excited for you to push this through and hopefully even nationally, because what what you're doing is is so important and you've dropped 
so many gems, just understanding insurances and and um, the lack of resources and support. So keep doing, keep shining. And I'm just just grateful to have spent this space with you here. <laughs> Thank you, Beauty. I appreciate that so much. And, and I, I would echo the same sentiments to you. I think watching all of us as graduates of CNR grow and flourish in our careers. So many of us have entered into the entrepreneurship space and are really doing our thing. So I love seeing, especially coming from those who don't know CNR, was it all girls school? So yeah. <laughs> all of us women grow and be successful is, is amazing and definitely a product of, of our environment. So forever CNR girl. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. I hope this episode fed your soul. Please be sure to download new episodes. You can also head on over to rate, review, and subscribe. For more updates, find us at www.iambeauteousme.com or on Instagram at iambeauteousme. Don't forget to use the hashtag beauteousmepodcast for your feedback.